supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Mac Mo- Matt Moniz, not Mac Moniz, Matt Moniz, back from the field. Uh, last week, he was at the haunted Victorian mansion out in Gardner, which, uh, next time you talk to the guy, can you do me a favor? Sure, what? Can you recommend that on his website, hauntedvictorianmansion.com, he puts um, the address of the haunted Victorian mansion? <laughs> And also the contact info if people want to take the tours that he's advertising on his website. So two yeah. key bits of information that are kind of missing from there. Yeah. But uh, but obviously you had a great time there with uh, Jeff and the crew from 30 Odd Minutes. It was a blast. And uh, if you would like to catch that, you can go to 30oddminutes.com, 30oddminutes.com, and you can watch the episode. And, of course, you can also stay tuned to your local cable access station because pretty much every station in the world is carrying 30 Odd Minutes now. And uh, and you can get it on your cell phones and your those the texty phones that all the kids have now, those and the uh, the iPods that have the the Wi-Fi on it. You have an iPod with a Wi-Fi? I do. Okay, so you can watch thirty odd minutes on it as well. Tonight we are going to talk with you about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night, both here on WBSM and streaming live through Fate Radio. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com and you can. Click in and watch what's going on in the Spooky Studio. And we want to say hello to everybody that's in the Fate Radio chat room tonight. And if uh, you want to get in on the discussion there, it's always fascinating. And, you know, most shows would say, hey, you know, keep it on topic. We want you talking about what's going on in the chat room, uh, in the chat room. We don't want you going off subject. But the conversations are so great in that chat room. And I was, I was talking with our friend Craig Anderson of Our History Project uh, this past week. Uh, because I was interviewed uh, for an interview coming up on his show uh, toward the end of the month, and we were talking about how many show ideas have kind of come out of that discussion with people talking about what they want to see and hear on Spooky South Coast. So there you go. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about something though that Chris Balzano and I have been kicking around for quite a while. Of course, Chris Balzano, the author, the paranormal researcher, the uh, folklorist, the uh, the analytical folklorist, as I like to call him. Uh, he is also the content director of Spooky South Coast. He's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about how the paranormal infiltrated its way into the mainstream uh, as we were growing up. And, of course, Matt Koss and myself were a little bit younger than Matt Moniz. He's got about 10 years on us. And we know that some of our audience members are even older than that. And, uh, of course, most of them, you know... <laughs> Would have fallen asleep by now if they're any older than Moniz. But, uh, <laughs> zing. But, uh, you know, everybody growing up, we, anybody that's into this stuff had to have it touch them at some point, whether it be a personal experience or whether it be the influence of mainstream media. And I think that for every X Files, for every Twilight Zone, for every Ghostbusters, for every Poltergeist, for every Exorcist, there was also these little instances where it kind of sneak in. Uh, something paranormal here and there. So we're going to talk about all that with Chris Balzano, and basically the whole show is going to be one of our patented Balzano breakdowns. And we're going to look at not only uh, the effect that it had in all of us uh, growing up, but also the effect that it might still be having today, as well as a number of other fascinating aspects of this discussion. It started off, really, the seeds of this started off with just us talking on the phone one night saying, hey, remember this? I thought, yeah, remember when they did that? 
Remember that? Wasn't that going to be a show we were going to do with Brian Hanwa? Remember that? <laughs> it didn't work out. Nope. But, uh, but he has a show now, so uh, we wish him well with that. They started uh, last week, I believe. Uh, so hopefully they, that keeps rolling for them. But we are going to discuss all that and more. And, of course, we want to hear from you. 508-996-0500. Those are the numbers. If you want to email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. We can get the emails right here in the studio. And, uh, of course, you can always jump in the chat room on Fate Radio as well. That's fatemag.com slash fateradio if you need the direct link. Uh, I want to say hello to all the people that are joining us for the first time. Uh, I've been out there promoting Ghosts of the South Coast. Moniz can hold it up to the to the camera there. There it is, Ghosts of the South Coast. We have copies here if you want to come by the studio. They're nineteen ninety nine. We also have tickets to Paranite available for $45. We'll talk a little bit more about Paranite later on in the show. But... Uh, Anyway, when I'm out there doing these signings and different events, I go out there and promote the book. I'm, I'm meeting a lot of people who aren't necessarily Spooky South Coast fans. They're people who are interested in the paranormal and heard I was going to be somewhere and wanted to talk to me about some of their own experiences or just ask some questions. And inevitably, almost every person that I've talked to that never heard of the show said, well, I'm going to check that out. So whether you're checking it out now live here Saturday night, or whether you're listening to us on podcast or watching the video podcast later on, Hello and welcome. We hope that you'll become part of our spooky family here. Uh, and you're going to be, I'm pretty sure, you're going to be pretty Im- impressed with the guests that we have here. And that's not on, that's not anything to do with us, but that has to do everything to do with the, the great guests that we get. And a little bit of Chris Balzano's work, too, that he's been doing uh, as the content director. And remind me when he comes on, guys, to give him kudos once again for last week's show with Dr. T. Lee Baum. And I haven't had enough time to get it up online, but I will. Uh, because people are coming up to me that are fans of the show and saying, wow, <laughs> you know, I just can't believe that show from last week. And, and that's uh, that's pretty much how I felt while it was going on. Moniz, I really was hoping you were going to be here because I was nervous as hell because we were talking about the brain, brain chemistry, uh, brain physiology, and I was like, oh, this is going to get so over my head. But I, th- I think I did an okay job of keeping with the conversation. Of course, Lee was great about dumbing it down for us too. And it was just a, a fascinating discussion. So if you haven't had a chance to catch it yet, obviously because the podcast only exists on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> when you do hear it, you will. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it because it was uh, very interesting talking about the ELF and how that might influence or, or affect the paranormal. So, all right. Well, why don't we take a break? We'll get Chris on the phone, and when we come back, we're going to talk about everything mainstream that touches into the paranormal. Uh, we might even talk about that that singer that. Lady Goo Goo, Lady, Lady Haha, whatever her name is. Lady Tata. Wait, I thought I thought Lady Haha was uh, what women called the. All right, never mind. We'll be right back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. And pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, broadcasting live on the Fate Radio Network. 
If you want to see what goes on in the spooky studio, I still can't understand why you would, but the camera is up and running. And that was one of the things that Craig Anderson and I talked about uh, in recording the interview for our history project uh, was the the camera here in the spooky studio. And apparently it was uh, quite popular. So I'm glad that we were able to bring it back to the fine folks at Fate Radio. And uh, the new ma- the new issue of Fate will be coming out soon, right, Matt, with uh, the Lizzie Borden story that I did. So It should be, yeah. So that'll be great. And uh, we have joining us right now the the man who is my cover story uh, of every issue of my magazine, Chris Balzano. You know him, you love him from such books as Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle, Dark Woods, uh, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting, Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film, and of course he's also the content director at Spooky South Coast. I feel like it's almost like one of those things where uh, on Nessun, when they have to like say sometimes, or in the Boston Globe, where they have to say, the Boston Globe is a uh, partner of the New York Times Corporation, which owns the Boston Red Sox. So we have to kind of give that disclaimer. Christopher Balzano is an unplayed employee of Spooky South Coast. <laughs> and not Hilly Rose. I'm not actually Hilly Rose. You know, uh, and, and when Hilly finds out about this, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, I think he'd actually be pretty flattered that there's someone who's uh, that passionate about his work, so... Well, we just figured that, you know, with Fate Radio launching and, and the chat room there every Saturday night during Spooky South Coast, we had to represent Hilly in some way. Exactly. You know, he needs to, he needs to be back on the air where I can listen to him while I'm trying to distract myself from my work. When I'm not listening to old podcasts of Spooky South Coast on www.spookysouthcoast.com backslash archives. There you go. And uh, there's also some great stuff up on the website uh, besides the archives. It's As we like to say, it's a place to go every day and find out new information about the paranormal. But, uh, see, I'm, I'm a little upset because my original screen name was going to be Long John Nebel, but apparently the, the server thought that I was trying to use a porn name, so it <laughs> censored it automatically. <laughs> well, oddly enough, Hilly Rose actually is my porn name, too, so. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you typed it into the porn name generator online, and that's what came back, huh? Yes, well... Uh, Using it for years. Well, it's, it's it's better than mine. Manfred on the bottom. All right, let's move on. We're talking about uh, the p- mainstream's use of the paranormal here tonight on Spooky South Coast. And, of course, this is one example. This show is one example of how the mainstream lets the paranormal sneak in because uh, every Saturday night they forget to lock the doors and we come in here to WBSM to do this program. So I don't think we mean that kind of sneaking in, though. We mean where they work it in as a, as a device. Uh, and we've been talking about this a lot, Chris, you and I. Give us your patented Balzano breakdown here on, on what we see in the mainstream media and how they use the paranormal. Well, you know, it, it, it's something that's always been there. Um, since the early days when paranormal shows were crept their way in, and, and you and I have talked off the air and even on the air about how there seems to be an explosion of paranormal shows, but paranormal shows have always been there. And, you know, if you look at it in a deeper way, and I remember kind of going through this when I was working on um, uh, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting, is there's a whole section on literary and television use of of the paranormal because it is a device. It's something we can connect to. It's something that automatically triggers our, our, our thoughts and our emotions as well. And, you know, throughout literature, throughout storytelling, really, even if you think about the earliest, kind of form of storytelling, ghosts, what happens after you die, things you don't understand, these are kind of paranormal, supernatural content, and people are not only intrigued by it, but they're challenged by it. And so it finds its way to sneak in because it's a great storytelling device. And, and some of the early things you and I talked about were 
things that um, were more kind of like convention, literary convention, as we would say in my uh, my language arts class. In other words, you know, it's not really a ghost. It's not really um, uh, some kind of creature that we don't understand. It's not really an alien. They're using that to tap into something else. And so, you know, they've been doing that kind of thing for years. And, and like I said, in literature, I mean... You know, the greatest play ever written, Hamlet. <laughs> its entire kind of motivation is based on a ghost. You know, and and, and it, it kind of establishes hard, hard and concrete, like, here's what we can talk about when we talk about ghosts, and everyone wants to hear it, and so we can use it to tell other stories. And when we get into this discussion, we kind of have to just start right off the bat, and I'm going to hold this up and say hi to uh, WV, which I'm assuming is West Virginia Ghost Hunters in the chat room, because we are live and we want to say hello to everyone in the chat room, but uh, we kind of have to lay it out on the table that you can't refer to any episodes of The Twilight Zone in this discussion, (laughs) because Rod Serling and his writers were the masters of being able to use the paranormal as a device for something else, and and we've discussed that at length in in the past, and it's almost like that's the holy grail of what we're talking about, and all these little instances that we might discuss are trying to live up to what Rod Serling was able to do on a weekly basis. Well, you know, and for those people who are uh, online right now, they can go to um, Spooky South Coast right now. They can click on the, the link for my top five misplaced ghosts, and I have some honorable mentions. Um, and it kind of connects to your Twilight Zone idea. Uh, you can go to www.spookysouthcoast.com backslash Balzano5. And... You know, if <laughs> if Twilight Zone is the the mother of all paranormal shows, then The X Files is the uh, the quirky little brother who finally finds like his his groove in his spotlight. And on there, I have Ghosts of Christmas Past. Or I'm sorry, what's it called? Um, I think it's called Ghosts of Christmas Past. But it's basically one of the later episodes with Ed Asner yep. and Lily Tomlin. And through those characters, they kind of tell the love story, the kind of demented love story of, of Mulder and Scully. And so it's another instance, which is why I didn't make my list, where a paranormal show takes a little bit of a different angle on something and even kind of even playing off itself and, and making fun of itself kind of finds a new genre, like the paranormal within the paranormal, which I thought at least deserved honorable mention. And, yeah, there were so many episodes of, of that show where they'd be investigating something and it would kind of turn around on them and they'd be left scratching their heads and... And that is almost like you're talking about, the idea of the paranormal sneaking into the paranormal, that when they walked away scratching their heads saying, hey, we just have to accept that for what it was, there's another example of how they were able to sneak things into a world where supposedly everything was understood and clearly defined, and then even sometimes that got the best of them. Right, and, and good paranormal television um, does that. It establishes guidelines, so even though you're watching something spectacular, and that goes right into science fiction and the great science fiction shows that have gone on television, there are these established parameters, and yet when they can break out of that, it's kind of like a normal show, quote-unquote normal show, doing the same thing. I mean, what, what in your research, can you track anything back to what might have been the earliest use? Um, and, I mean, obviously, film, you know, ghosts go back to the beginning of movies. Uh, they would have somebody in a sheet. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, Dasveratu. Yeah, and, and, you know, horror movies were the earliest uh, examples, but... Were there any early examples in film, TV, music, anything where it was the idea of a ghost used as an allegory? Well, I mean, I think that some of the earliest adaptations of radio programs 
and um, television shows even brought in the whole Christmas Carol idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can definitely point to kind of the four ghosts in that story as being kind of one of the original television radio ghosts. But, I mean, radio did a lot of it. I mean, the you know, there's, there's um, there were some of the most listened-to radio shows, for example, were the spooky ones. And you guys covered some of that on your... Uh, your um your retro radio show, which I think I'm going to post up as the uh, classic audio for this week. But I mean, it's seen all throughout. I mean, the two things grew up with each other, especially you know, early television also did documentary work with um, some of these paranormal topics that we're now turning around to again. Well, we have uh, we've compiled the list. Uh, you and I each compiled the list of five, and I had the guys here in the studio, Matt and Matt, compile a list of uh, at least three. And we're going to kick around some of these ideas. We'll see if some of our thoughts uh, overlap. And we also want to invite the callers to call in as well. 508 996 The numbers are also up on SpookySouthCoast.com. You can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll get that right in here. Or you can jump into the chat room on Fate Radio and ask a question there as well. Uh, so we're going to just kind of open this up and kick it around. Uh, Chris, what's the number five? You know, we'll we'll work backwards. What's the uh, number five on your list? Well, I actually have another honorable mention. Okay. Um, and I think it's important to bring out there because we've already started talking about things like this in the chat room. And one of the very popular uses of ghosts in television is the use of the ghost as a sign of grief um, and a sign of kind of trying to get over someone passing and not being able to deal with it, and so therefore these conversations with dead people happen. Um, and <laughs> in the chat room, oddly enough, uh, they were doing one that I actually rejected because of that, which was uh, Growing Pains has, not Growing Pains, but uh, Family Ties has two of them. One where Alice's friend dies and come back and talk to him as a ghost, and one of them where Tom Hanks, who plays his uncle, also dies and comes back and has a conversation with him as a ghost. And this is his way of kind of dealing with that death, even though, you know, he has no kind of normal, earthly way of doing it. Um, And so one of my honorable mentions is the greatest episode of television ever. And I will get into a ring and physically fight (laughs) or uh, intellectually fight anyone who wants to challenge this, but two cathedrals from the West Wing. Um... In the, in the final moments of two cathedrals, President Bartlett has a discussion, kind of an argument, with his secretary and lifelong friend who has just died, Mrs. Lanningham. And there's a moment where, you know, they cut back and you see that he's talking to himself. And it's, she does things in the room. She physically touches things and, and kind of moves things and shuts the door. So it's, it's kind of a semi-ghost. Um, but I thought it was definitely worth a mention because... Not only is it the greatest episode of television, but it's the greatest use of Dire Straits ever in a TV show. Well, I never watched The West Wing, and I'm, I'm assuming that I missed out on quite a bit, because the next show, I did watch uh, Sports Night, but then the next show that I watched after that was Studio 60, and I don't know. I, I don't think that that nearly compares to what I hear about The West Wing. Well, you're going to have to, at the very least, uh, check out the clip that I posted, which unfortunately I couldn't find one that actually has Mrs. Winningham in it and her little discussion, but... The clip that I have up there actually takes place right as she walks out the door and kind of yells at him, walks out the door. But it is, um, it is an extremely. But once again, it, it, it harkens back to this idea that ghosts are used as this kind of: are they? Aren't they? Are they really there? Are they not there? But definitely, there's something we can use and kind of um, 
kind of lean on to get over these moments of grief, especially with someone who's directly just kind of passed. Well, and when you can use uh, that type of device in what I'm assuming was great writing, because that's what I've always heard about that series, uh, it just shows that it's not the product of a lazy writer, as some people might accuse. You know, oh, when you bring that stuff in, it's just because they couldn't tell the story the right way. Um, it just shows how that can be used in its most effectiveness. Yeah, yeah, and it's <laughs> it's one of those. I, we could do a whole show, which would not be very good paranormal radio on on the amazing things that are in that episode. But definitely check that one out. So I can I can tell you my number five too, if you want. I can just kind of segue sure. right into it. Sure. Beautiful. On the lighter side, because um, a lot of these, a lot of the ones that I have are very emotional and very passionate and very deep. Um, my number five is Ghost Story from Laverne and Shirley, um, where a the spirit of a of a 1920s flapper who died in the apartment temporarily possesses uh, Shirley. And there's kind of a little bit of a time slip there, and all of a sudden the characters, you know, go from the 1950s and 60s into the 20s, and it's just very, you know, it's got that kind of underlining eeriness and underlining kind of sadness to it, but it's also very, you know, wacky because, well, Lenny and Squiggy are, are funny as people from the Roaring Twenties. Hello. <laughs> I'm biting my hand as we speak. There you go. And that was, uh, you know, from the mind of uh, of Gary Marshall. And, and we talked about um, off the air, and this is something that we had frequently pointed to. Did, did Mork end up making your list? I know that he hadn't as of earlier. No, he didn't, because I focused on ghosts on mine. So, but it definitely, uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you talk about Mork for a little bit. I mean, we all know that uh, you know Mork and Mindy was a show that was uh, airing in the 1970s. It's where Robin Williams got his big break playing the character of Mork, who comes down from the planet Orc to absorb, observe uh, mankind on Earth and to report back to his, his superior Orson. But what a lot of people don't realize, uh, a lot of people who saw the show in the 70s, uh, I mean in the, the 80s and the 90s in reruns might not realize, is he actually got to start as a, in a guest stint on Happy Days, where uh, he actually came down and, and uh, landed in Milwaukee and ended up getting involved with Richie and all of his friends, and I think they brought him on. I think he had two appearances on Happy Days before he got his own spinoff show. He did, two appearances. And so that's just an idea of, like, there's a show that, you know, had nothing to do with the paranormal whatsoever, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they just decide to bring in this alien character. Uh, that might be an example of, to, to an outside observer, that might be an example of a little bit of, not laziness maybe, but... Uh, using a hit show like Happy Days to kind of throw in a character that they were going to put on a different TV show. I think that's the spin that it's gotten in later years is, oh, they were going to do this Mork and Mindy show, and they wanted to get a good buzz, so they did that by having Mork show up on Happy Days. But that's not the case at all. Mork was supposed to be a, a standalone one-time episode, one-time character, and much like Steve Urkel eventually did on Family Matters, he ended up stealing the spotlight, and uh, Mork ended up getting his own show. I think that's the first time Urkel has ever been compared to uh, Robin Williams. Both but, uh, comic geniuses in their own right. But uh, yeah, and I think that that's of, of well, I don't know your list yet, but I think of our list. That's probably the weirdest, most completely out of place. Where the heck did that come from? Use of the paranormal and the supernatural uh, on television ever? And so you take this 1950s straight edge show, and then all of a sudden, the dude's an alien. Not only is he an alien, but you know, when he gets his own show, it's you know, 20 years later. And it would seem like, you know, he was the uh, the prototypical, you know, misfit trying to make his way in society, which kind of leads its way into my number five. And uh, this is something that I, I, it's a movie that I think people try to forget. 
and a TV show that people try to forget. Uh, but that would be Harry and the Hendersons. Because uh, until this movie came out, Bigfoot was always seen as more of a either a negative creature to encounter or a monster truck, one of the two. And uh, this was the idea of... It's, it's probably the, the greatest Bigfoot movie since the Patterson-Gimler film, in my <laughs> mind. But uh, you have a Seattle uh, family going to Seattle on a camping trip, and they run into a Bigfoot creature. Uh, they actually run it over. They decide to take it home and help it you know, get back to full health. And while they do so, it becomes part of the family. And uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an allegory for bringing an outsider into a family unit and kind of accepting them. You know, it came out in the 80s when everybody was kind of in a, a feel-good phase of Americana. And it shows that, you know, even though we have this nuclear family, there's still room for the strange and unusual addition that would come later. Uh, and at the same time, it did kind of give the idea that if there is, I'm sure inadvertently, but they gave the idea that if there was actually a Bigfoot creature out there living, let's not assign it the monster category automatically, that it may actually just be a misunderstood creature that can get along with mankind. And it was probably, you know, the, the most impressive John Lithgow paranormal performance <laughs> besides playing an alien on Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should, you should choose that because um, my first exposure to the paranormal ever was I remember, and we were living in New Jersey, which means I had to have been about four years old, and I woke up, and it was early in the morning, like four or five early in the morning. And I remember creeping downstairs and turning on the television. Even at that early age, I knew how to flip through the channels and everything. And watching a documentary on Bigfoot and sitting there with my mouth open, just watching this entire thing, these just two hours of, of television. And who knows how, where it came from because, I mean, if it was on you know, TV at, at, at four in the morning, you know, what was it originally? And, you know, it, it, had, it was this whole breakdown of the Patterson film and everything like that. And I remember being like, oh, my word, what is this? And being consumed with Bigfoot for, like, the next year of my life. And did you, it, I mean, was it more of an idea of trying to have this lovable creature like they have? Or uh, what, what were you thinking in your mind it would be, that creature? There's stuff out there we don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just like, do you mean that there's creatures? Do you mean that there's monsters? And, you know... I think we've talked about this before. I came to age in the, in the 70s and the early 80s when, you know, our, our parents would take us to these absolutely horrific horror movies at drive-ins, and we were supposed to be asleep because the, the kind, gentle movie was shown first, and then we were supposed to fall asleep, and then they'd show The Exorcist. And so we were, I think my generation and kind of my age group were really exposed to these absolutely horrific movies that molded us, which is where a lot of this, this, the idea of the show comes from today, tonight and had really no kind of outlet to talk about it because we couldn't tell our parents we had, you know, snuck these movies. Um, and, and it was absolutely like this, this mouth-open kind of, wait a minute, is that here? Is that, I mean, like, am I going to go to the White Castle and he's going to come out and get me? Um, and so I remember my first initial thing being fear, and then my second thing being this burning curiosity. I want to know more about that. Where did that come from? How do I discover those? How can I, how can I hunt those now? And look for those now. And, of course, you know, in suburb New Jersey, there's not a lot of wooded areas, so I never actually found the, the Bigfoot in Jersey. Well, the, the, the just as interesting as, as encountering these things in mainstream media is how it makes us feel because of how it's used in mainstream media. And I think that uh, the, the idea of the lovable Bigfoot 
or the idea of the scary demonic, you know, no matter what it is that that ends up getting used, uh, the feeling that we take away is going to eventually decide whether or not we decide to pursue that topic. Right, and of course, you know, our reaction to it, too, and, and how people perceive it to us, like how they kind of react when we show an interest in it. And of course, at my age, it was, you know, well, we don't talk about those things. My dad was a private investigator, and it was always like, you know, things that we can touch, that's what we deal with. What are you talking about that stuff for? All right, well... And oddly well, enough, my father would say, what are you talking about this stuff for? Go read a book. Here's, here's a whole bunch of Greek mythology. <laughs> well, if you want to join in in the discussion and share any of uh, what would be on your list of paranormal influences in mainstream media, 508-996-0500, Those are the phone numbers to call in. Also, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Or you can jump in the chat room on Fate Radio, uh, which you can get to through SpookySouthCoast.com. Matt Costa, what do you have on your list? Give us uh, the bottom one on your list. Um, the Alien from Meatballs. <laughs> there you go. I don't know why it was in that movie, but and, and Which Meatballs was? Was that Meatballs, <laughs> meatballs 3, right? Meatballs 2. Yeah. Or no, two? 2? It was 2? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, wh- what do you remember about... You want some good hot guinea pig ads? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was weird and kind of out of uh, out of nowhere. Just or, like they decided to have. Yeah, just like somebody just kind of threw that out in some sort of meeting. They were like, That's <laughs> a, not that they had a meeting for meatballs too. I think they just showed up with a camera crew and <laughs> said, "All right, guys, get to work." Yeah. But even the costume was elaborate for yeah. that type of movie. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, it just made you think every time you went to summer camp about the kid that might have been in the same bunk as you. So, all right, uh, Matt Moniz, what do you have on your list for your bottom one? one? Well, I'm a little bit older, so some of my episodes of stuff go back further. The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great show. Uh, the yeah. movie or the show? No, the show. Well, both. Yeah. I mean, really. Well, you're talking about TV, but yeah. Uh, here was a story where a ghost would is accepted as part of the family in the home. You mm-hmm. know, in, and Charles Nelson Riley. Yeah, <laughs> and you have you have kind of a, a love story that develops through a ghost, and it's uh, it's it's interesting that you know sometimes the ghostly characters get the attention because of the fact that they're a ghost, but they might end up being the ones that are the most fleshed out and have the most you know backstory and the most role on the show. Right, right. the that was the bottom one on my list, but yeah, that definitely stands out. Cause I'm no. just going to guess that number one on your list is Ghost Dad. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, it's your favorite Bill Murray it movie. Uh, your favorite uh, Bill Cosby movie it is. next to Leonard Part 6. <laughs> or Leonard Part 1 through 5. I do like uh, I do like Part 4. That was my favorite. <laughs> now, now, they actually brought back the Ghost of Miss Mirror twice. Uh, once in, I think, the early 80s, and then in the mid-80s or late 80s, they brought a variant of it back with I wish I could remember her name right now. Jillian something, the girl with the bobbed blonde hair, who played a waitress for all those years on that other TV show. Oh, uh, uh, Ann Jillian. Yes, there you go. And she was, and she was the character. And once again, harking back to the, I believe she was once again a, a flapper from the twenties, who ended up being in you know nineteen eighties Los Angeles, and, and had a, it had a very similar plot to the uh, to the Ghost of Miss Mirror show. What what was the one that had Alyssa Milano? Was that was that a version of the Ghost of Mrs. Muir? Uh, you mean too close for or who's the boss? Yeah, she was in uh, some some movie. It was uh, I think it was a variant of the Ghost of Mrs. Muir. It might have been one of the remakes 
uh, that came out in the 80s. I know my aunt was a big fan of it, so. Well, I'm a big Alyssa Milano fan, but not yeah, as that one, unfortunately. Me too. I used to have the uh, Teen Steam poster on my wall, <laughs> which it just my wife thought it was really creepy. She's like, come on, you're 30. Take it down. She doesn't look like that anymore. All right. Uh, well, we have a call here on the line, so let's go to the phones. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Chris Balzano. How are you doing? Hey, crew. Fun and informative as always. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm a lot older than you guys, I'm sure. So... Uh, my first experiences were as a little kid watching movies, you know, old movies and monster matinee and all, but not all of them were monsters. Uh, it was uh, actually spirits. You ever seen a movie from the 40s called The Uninvited? Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Now, that'll really give you... Uh, yes, it wasn't any murder plot or anything like that. I mean, it was a real manifestation type thing. And, and, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, you're talking about the Ghost of Mrs. Muir. That film was pretty good as well. There, there's another one that came out a little bit later uh, that was uh, pretty profoundly influential, I think, in a lot of the ghost movies that followed, and that was uh, The Innocence. Mm. Oh, yes. That was another good one. So, I mean, a lot of these, and you see the effects of those movies uh, in a movie like The Others, you know, mm-hmm. which came out you know, many, many years later, but had a lot of the same uh, you know, plot development. Ah, uh, yeah. So I think we were about eight years old when we saw a William Castle production, 13 Ghosts. Oh, yeah. The original with uh, Margaret Hamilton. Yep. Ah, uh, yes. So... Uh, a couple of days later, we were in the basement with just a can of lights off conducting a seance. <laughs> it was very effective. Now, in the 80s, there was a really tremendous movie. Uh, did you ever see George C. Scott and the Changeling? Yes. Uh, those, that, that is superb. And uh, I think in the 70s, Burnt Offerings. Oh, yeah. Oliver Reed and uh, Karen Black. And that's one of the movies that kind of got people into the idea of paranormal investigation. Yes, uh, these are seriously scary, almost disturbing movies. Most of the movies we've seen that are horror, we we like to laugh at. We pick them apart. But these ones, you really can't. And there's another one that was made in England, I believe, in the late 80s called The Woman in Black. If you ever get to see that, do it. That, That is really good. All right, well, I'll definitely check that out. I, and I think what's compelling about, um, especially the Changeling, is the fact that it's really, once again, a story about his grief. You know what I'm saying? And about his not being able to relate it and the way that these kinds of things start filtering into your life. Grief can filter into your life, whether it's real or not real, whether it's imagined, whether it's part of your, your you know, subconscious kind of spitting things out of you, saying, don't forget this, or you, there's no way you can forget this right now. But I remember the Changeling staying with me because of that, because it's just like this really, really profound um, loss that George oh, yes. had had. They only got killed by a truck uh, when they were parked by the side of the roof. But still, the what he's experiencing is real, but right. it takes him a while to realize that. But oh, that, that is really the story. It's very good. Right. That's kind of reverse of what we were talking about before. He thinks it's not real, <laughs> but it is real as opposed to you know these other instances of you know it being used as a literary convention. Yes, and uh, burnt offerings, it's just a family gets to rent this fabulous house cheap for the summer, and uh, oh, boy, <laughs> that is a beaut. 
Uh, I'm sure that's available on disc or Actually, it's, it's really hard to find. I actually had to steal it off the internet. Oh, I mean, ah. I had to uh, procure yeah. it. And <laughs> another all right, well, thank you for checking in. Well, thanks for the show. All right, thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, all. Bye-bye. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen the, the influence of a lot of those horror movies, but, I mean, we can get even deeper uh, as we are tonight and just like these uh, non-paranormal media entities, whether it be no matter what, uh, all of a sudden have these influences in them. Like, I can tell you that when I was growing up, my, my mom was a big fan of that radio show, The Lost 45s, with Barry Scott. And whenever we would drive from my grandmother's house, we used to visit my grandmother every Sunday. So we'd drive home, and once a year, they always had their special tribute to death songs. It was a, a big rash in the 70s of songs that involved people dying. Right. And, and that seemed to have a, a lot of effect on me in terms of some of these creepy stories that would uh, come out of them. And I don't want to get too much into the, the growing pains uh, thing, because I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to be talking about that later. I actually didn't put that on my list. You for, did uh, not. Say- I thought you were going to put it on your list. So oh, I didn't. All right. Well, we've got we've got about eight minutes here until uh, we get to the news, so we're going to go off the list for a second and discuss this because uh, I don't think people that did see it really understand what it was, uh, which is uh, amazing when you. I mean, it's another one of those things where you can say it's either lazy storytelling or it's a great tribute. Uh, but there was a song in the '60s uh, that came out. Uh, by a, a guy named Dickie Lee, and I want to say it was 63, but don't quote me on that. Uh, the gentleman's name was Dickie Lee, and the song was called uh, Strange Things Happen, I believe. And it's the so- most people that remember the song think it's uh, you know called uh, Last Night at the Dance I Met Laurie or something like that, because that's the first line of the song. And the basic gist of the song is that the, the guy singing the song goes to a dance, he meets this girl, they fall for each other. They have a great time. They dance. They have, you know, they kiss. Whatever else, and then he agrees to walk her home. And when they're walking home, she asks for a sweater, and he parts ways with her at her door. He leaves, and then he realizes he forgot to get his sweater. So he goes back to the house. He knocks on the door and he asks the father, you know, uh, I was with your daughter tonight, and I gave her my sweater. I'd like to have it back. And the father says that uh, you couldn't have been with my daughter. And he says, well, why not? He goes, I can't believe you would come and say this to me. My daughter died a year ago today. And so you get the idea that he was with this this ghost. And that was adapted for an episode of Growing Pains, which in the grand scheme of the Growing Pains universe has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) And it might have been a Halloween airing. It might have been a Halloween time episode. Uh, But here it is, an episode where the same thing happens to Mike Seaver where he goes to the dance, he meets the girl who was actually, for uh, Growing Pains Insiders and people who love useless TV trivia, played by Jamie Lunar, who would later play the daughter of Coach Lubbock, who was Mike's coach in the spinoff show, Just the Ten of Us. Right, and she actually had three appearances on that show. Really, on Growing three Pains? Three characters before she, uh, before she became uh, a regular on uh, Just the Ten of Us. And let's get a little bit more deeper. Let's go to Just the Ten of Us for a second. You know who else was in that cast, of course. Uh, Heather Nancy from Heather Langenkamp, yes, and and also Brooke Thies was the the blonde daughter with the curly hair, Wendy, and uh, she was in Nightmare on Elm Street Four. She was a girl that got ripped up in the Roach Motel, and also the little brother on Just the Ten of Us was usually wearing a Nightmare on Elm Street shirt during the show. 
Well, he probably got them from the girls that played his sister. Probably had come home in the trailers. <laughs> but anyway, so, and that's not the only instance of a weird paranormal thing happening in Growing Pains too. There was, of course, the famous episode where Mike uh, can't sleep and he drinks the buttermilk and has these weird dreams. You know, so it's uh, they, they they allowed for a little bit of the strange and unusual, which I guess is not a stretch considering that the father was a psychologist. And this is my maybe the dorky uh, folklorist in me coming out, but I believe that variant G uh, of the actual uh, phantom uh, phantom hitchhiker uh, legend that's kind of out there. You know, they have the phantom hitchhiker, and they have all these variants. I believe variant G is the is the sweater on the grave uh, variant. And then, and then actually, and we were talking about this in the chat room earlier, the Large Marge appearance in, uh, in um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, mm-hmm. which was also used in an episode of my favorite sitcom of all time, which is Facts of Life. <laughs> I like that's pretty paranormal unto itself. But that's your favorite sitcom of all time. Everything I ever learned in life, I actually learned on the facts of life, and mm-hmm. I don't. And that's not even a joke. You've learned to take the good with the bad, including plagiarism, which uh, maybe we'll get into later in the uh, <laughs> in the episode. If you want to want me to retell my plagiarism story, for well, me. I didn't really hear back anything from that guy, so I definitely would want to hear any updates. Uh, that there are on that story. So we'll talk about that coming up in the next hour. We're also going to tell you a little bit more about Paranite 2010 coming up this Wednesday night, October 20th, at the Water Street Cafe in Fall River. Tickets are available still. They're $45. You can go to SpookySouthCoast.com and click on the Paranite link there, and you can buy them through PayPal. And at this point, it's too, uh, too late to mail them, so we'll hold on to them at the door. Uh, we don't really want to sell tickets at the door because we need an accurate count for the dinner for the the great dinner that's planned as part of this night. But you got Jeff Belanger, Robert Merch, and myself giving a presentation. We're going to have uh, seances. We're going to have psychics there to give readings. We're going to have an investigation. We're going to have all kinds of paranormal fun. So if you want to get out and experience the paranormal for yourself, this is your chance. Uh, you can come by here and grab some tickets, too. Uh, please bring exact change because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't bring any change with me. And also, Ghost of the South Coast is here available, too, if you'd like to buy a copy and have it signed during the news. But uh, coming up in the second hour... We're going to take a, a little bit step back for a few minutes away from the paranormal, uh, and we are going to talk with uh, Nick. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost his last name here. Uh, but he purchased the Borden Flats Lighthouse out in Fall River, and he's got some plans in mind for that. So we're going to talk to him about what he plans on doing with that. Nick Korstad is his name. And uh, we'll talk about that for a few minutes, and then we'll get right back to the discussion about the paranormal infiltrating the mainstream and uh, we've got a few more here on our list to get through. And, of course, we'll always take your thoughts and ideas, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to share your thoughts that way. And, of course, the chat room is on Fate Radio, and the room is bumping in there, Hilly Rose, I noticed. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been a little bit... Uh... Off the camera, but I uh, mean, off the uh, computer, but I'm back on it now trying to uh, respond to some of this, though. Yeah, so uh, let's carry over some of that conversation to the show coming up in the second hour. And uh, then, of course, Monday night, I don't want to forget Monday night, at the Wareham Historical Society meeting uh, at, on Main Street in Wareham at the old meeting house. Seven o'clock, there's going to be a slate of paranormal investigators, including the Spooky Crew, uh, Carlston Wood of uh, Phantom P.I., Eric Lavoie of DART. EVP guy Mike Markowitz, uh, Andrew Lake of Greenville Paranormal. There's going to be quite the crowd there uh, to discuss some of their findings in the paranormal field and some of the local haunts. I'll be selling the book out there. We'll have some Paranite tickets out there for sale. The place is going to be packed, so get there early. 
definitely get there early because this is going to be crazy. I know I've been promoting it as being free uh, to come and attend, but we would ask that you give a $2 donation to the Wareham Historical Society. They, they actually require that. Uh, I know that you know $2 is really nothing, but it helps them keep going. It helps keeping great places like the Fearing Tavern open to the public. And uh, for all of those people who want to get a chance to investigate the Fearing Tavern, you, know, you want to come by and at least give that $2 donation so we can keep it up and running. So we'll talk about that and more coming up in Hour 2. Like I said, Nick Orsad talking to us about the Borden Lights Lighthouse and then the Borden Flats Lighthouse, and then we'll get right back into the discussion, the paranormal in the mainstream. So let's see now if the news has any paranormal-related news, because that's usually how it works. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. I see you, Shiva. With anticipation. Well, we're waiting. Patience. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You will be. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we're going to be getting right back into our topic tonight, how the paranormal infiltrated the mainstream and affected our lives. Uh, but before we do that, we'd like to talk to the newest property owner here on the South Coast. Uh, but it's a very interesting piece of property. Uh, Nick Korstad is joining us. And uh, Nick is a lighthouse enthusiast who recently purchased the Borden Flats Lighthouse out off the coast of Fall River, and we want to talk with him about that property and some of his plans maybe for that property. Uh, good evening, Nick. Thank you for joining us here on the show. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Oh, a spooktacular, as we like to say here. <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, you are a lighthouse enthusiast. What got you into lighthouses? Uh, it started like when I was a little kid. We were traveling on the coast and uh, saw my first lighthouse, and ever since then there's just been this desire that, Maybe I've always thought that maybe in my past life I maybe was a lighthouse keeper. And how did you hear about the Borden Flats Lighthouse? Uh, I purchased a lighthouse back in 05 in uh, Virginia after the government auction, and so I've ever since then I've had an interest in their auctions. Mm-hmm. And so originally when they did auction off, I was you know I was interested in it, but I didn't have the funds right then to be able to purchase the station. And so I just kind of for some reason, kept my eye on it, and it just randomly came back up for auction, and the time was right, and so I decided, you know, my family and I, that we'd go in and purchase the station. I mean, when we see these uh, these newspaper stories that run, or 
there's usually something that focuses when one goes up on sale locally. And it sounds on the surface like it's a great deal because they let these properties go. In some cases, if you have a nonprofit organization, you can get them for free. Uh, and and then there's you know ones like this, which you paid a little over $56,000 for, which for a piece of property is, is a pretty amazing price. But there's there's a catch with being able to get it at these prices, right? Uh, a little bit of a catch. My catch is uh, you, you do have to allow basically the Coast Guard to come out there whenever they want to and know it. And uh, you... You know, you get the right to own the lighthouse, but the government still kind of, you know, is holding your hand the whole time because, you know, they want to be able to control what you do to the structure as far as the visual appearance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the preservation office is going to be out there, you know, kind of monitoring, you know, to make sure that whatever you're doing isn't, you know, taken away from the historical significance. So the last one I know had wanted to do a brewery out there, and so I'm not sure how he got that to slide by the station yeah. work office. Isn't isn't it still technically federal property, or are you the are you the property owner? Well, technically, we have a deed for the property, the lighthouse itself, but they will still maintain ownership of the submerged land. And so, uh-huh. and they and in the deed, there is you know a, a little clause that says that you know the arc of visibility for the light and everything like that they will you know not be able to disrupt that. Well, what what are some of the plans that you've been kicking around? I know in the newspaper stories that I read, because you, you live out in Oregon, so you've never even seen this lighthouse. Yeah, I won't be coming out there until next month. Uh, we're thinking of possibly the best way. We, I want to make it open to tourists so that they can actually go out there and tour the station mm-hmm. and possibly stay in the lighthouse. I, I have a lot of other friends that have done lighthouse and breakfast and stuff. So I'm kind of torn off of that, but I don't want it to be something that's generic and cliche as far as a lot of other lighthouse stations go. So I want it to be something that's actually really unique that you wouldn't experience at any other lighthouse. And the key with it, of course, is that it's, uh, it's what, 1,500 feet offshore? Yeah. So it's, it's not too far offshore. That's that's actually, to me, the best part is that it's, it's offshore, but it's not too far offshore. Yeah, and I said, that's a, a really quick trip to get people out there, and it's not to the point where, you know, if something went wrong, there'd be a huge panic. Yeah. Yeah, and it's close to the marina also, so... I've heard from a couple people in Fall River, and everyone out there seems like you know they're pretty decent people. Oh yeah, well, Fall River is definitely salt of the earth people. Uh, you you can't get any more blue collar than Fall River. <laughs> and of course, the the Borden Flats Lighthouse, while not named for Lizzie Borden, it is the same family, and you, you're going to carry along with that the Borden name, which is uh, you know pretty weighty to to keep to keep the spirit alive, so to speak, of of the Bordens. Uh, have you heard anything about any? Ghosts? Any haunted uh, activity happening on that lighthouse? First, I haven't heard of anything, but I haven't been out there yet to you know actually take any pictures and see if any orbs or anything take out in the pictures. But it's kind of interesting uh, off the board, and I got a uh, response. We did an article here in the Oregonian, and someone that lives you know really close to where I live here, their family is somehow tied into the Borden family. So I was going to contact them this week and see. Know, what their exact contact with that family is. Well, if uh, if you do get to the point where you want to check it out and see if there's any uh, activity going on, certainly give us a call. We're only about 20 minutes away, and uh, we're we're uh, well associated with the entire Ghost of the Borden family. <laughs> Let me tell I'm you. pretty sure that they, you, you never know. It's, the structure's been empty so long, and you know, with all the paranormal activity, you know they do like you know places that don't really have people there. So, and they lo- they I love will. water. It was yeah. a manned lighthouse for a, a significant amount of time, correct? What was that? It was a manned lighthouse, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they uh, decommissioned it 
you know, automated around the, the 60s or sometime around there. So it's been, it's been empty ever since. So, you know, you, you do have the running water near. So it's, honestly, I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked, actually, if there was a ghost out there. And when you are in town, uh, let us know because we'll take you to the other place that's named after the Bordens and we'll give you a tour there. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. Uh, so, and I, I highly recommend it. If you need accommodations while you're here, I highly re- recommend staying there and, and, you know, you get an idea of what the competition might be if you do decide to open a B&B. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, well, thank you for joining us and uh, good luck with the lighthouse and I'll definitely hopefully stay in touch with you. Just, you know, send me updates periodically and, and we can chat back and forth because we'd like to update our listeners about your progress. All right, sounds good. All right, thank you very much. All right, thanks. Have a good night. That is right. Nick Korstad, Nick the proud new owner of the Borden Flats Lighthouse. and So I'm, I'm interested to see what he has in mind, especially because he's coming here from the other side of the country. So he's coming to New England. He's, he's going to be dealing with New England people. I think he's going to be you know, pleasantly surprised to see what the reaction is going to be of Fall Riverites uh, and how he's going to approach that property because nobody wants to see something that historical just sit there and go to waste. So very interesting. All right, well, speaking of uh, salt-of-the-earth people, uh, we have one still on the line with us, Chris Balzano. We're going to get back into the discussion now about the paranormal infiltrating the mainstream. And, Chris, we've been kind of doing a countdown here of uh, what's on our list, so I've got to ask you what's next on yours. Uh, what's next on mine is Some Kind of Miracle, uh, which was an episode of, and I, and I hope people don't want to take my guy card away from me for, uh, for stating this, but uh, of Grey's Anatomy. And... It kind of became the springboard for a whole uh, plot line, <clears throat> excuse me, later, uh, I think it was last season or the season before that, but it's the ghost of Denny, <clears throat> which is the fiancé of one of the main characters who, you know, in later episodes actually kind of becomes almost a regular uh, occurrence on the show, this ghost, and he's, you know, there's some weird stuff that goes on there, and you can kind of question whether or not, you know, it became lazy storytelling or not, but the original episode... Um, called Some Kind of Miracle, appear, uh, was aired after the main character, uh, whose name I assume is Greg. Uh, and I did just kind of bits and pieces. My wife was watching it, and it was, it was so intriguing it pulled me in. I began watching it with her. Um, but it takes Life place in a hospital, if, you, if you've never watched the show before. And he is uh, a ghost in this episode. And it's a genuine ghost. It's not one of the, the kind of TV-generated kind of um, you know, plot-line ones, but, I mean, uh, plot device things. He's a genuine ghost. And he takes um, Meredith Grey, who's the main character, kind of through the hospital and shows her different things about her life because she kind of grew up in this hospital and things like that. And 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 it's kind of you know, your standard, you know, ghost kind of you know telling you, you know, how your life should be and what's going on. But towards the end of the episode, and this is really where it gets um, where where it kind of gets amazing for me, um, is he begins talking about how he watches his wife and how they're on these two separate kind of parallel planes, but every once in a while they can connect, um, that they're kind of walking the same area, but they're not walking the same area. And then at one moment uh, during the very, very end of the episode, there's a moment where they actually get to join, and they're at the, the same place at the same time, and she feels him. Uh, and she has been grieving for him, and you know her life's gone on, but there's still this part of her that's very much Denny. And they're able to occupy the same space at the same time, and... The look on both of their faces as it's kind of like, you know, the, the typical, you know, music is playing and it's, 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 the song itself is a, is a song kind of about, you know, life and ghosts and, 
and letting go and things like that, and they're, they occupy that same place, and they both feel each other. And it's one of those moments where the paranormal really becomes not a scary thing, not a spooky thing, but a healing thing and, you know, an emotional thing. And, and it, it's... <laughs> you could definitely take my guide card away from this, but I began to cry. Well, we'll, we'll give you this one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. My wife is very, very into the show, and normally when paranormal stuff enters into the uh, realm of ma- you know mainstream TV, she always kind of brings it to my attention, and she never mentioned that one to me. So I think that's because she knew I would probably make some sort of disparaging <laughs> comments about the show. And it, and it did become kind of silly, um, although it you know kind of became, from at least my wife's perspective, effective towards the very, very end. But, you know, he came back and he began talking to his, his ex-fiancee, and there were scenes where they would make love and you wouldn't see him, you would just see her. And it was kind of like some silly stuff. Weird. But that episode, um, especially when he's trying to convince her to go back and live life, it, it's pretty, it's, it's when good television it becomes really, really good, um, it was one of those moments, and it involved the paranormal, and it couldn't have been done without the paranormal, and I think that's the important part of it. Well, speaking of great television, that brings up the next one on my list. And uh, Matt Koss is actually going to play the the intro here, and we'll see if uh, anybody remembers it. Does that, uh, does that remind you of anything from your childhood, Chris, at all? Uh, it would if I could have heard it, but I didn't hear it. Ah, that's right, the old YouTube thing. It is the theme song to Small Wonder, <laughs> the television show that featured Vicky the Robot. And uh, the idea behind this is, you know, artificial intelligence is kind of borderline uh, along what we talk about here in the paranormal. Uh, but the fact that this artificial intelligence can kind of grow to become a human being is something we've seen in films like uh, AI, we've seen in iRobot here in later years. But back in the 80s, you know, when the, the the most prolific robot artificial intelligence was the Terminator, you know, here we have a little girl. And the idea that really interests me here is not just the idea that uh, robotics can replace human beings, but the fact that a robot can become part of the family, become part of, and become a human being, essentially replace us, replace human beings. So that's why I went with that, because you have the, you know, it's something that we saw in a lot of the... Uh, uh, the Rod Serling stories, and it's something that has always been done in a a scarier vein. And so this was one instance where, you know, I, I guess you could say she was cute. I, I thought she was ugly, but eh. people people look at it differently. So small wonder that's my contribution to the discussion here. That's just shows you how limited my intelligence is. Uh, Matt, what's next on your list? He's got to find his list. Hold on. Let's see. Um, this isn't exactly a TV show or anything, but it's, uh, I guess it's uh, part of uh, Saturday morning uh, cul- pop culture, is uh, Booberry Cereal. There you go. That's a and, great uh, example. It kind of uh, brought us in at an early uh Early stages of life into uh, at a time when you should uh, be afraid of Frankenstein yeah, monsters. Ed, who knew they were delicious? Yeah, <laughs> on sale right now for two fifty a box. And it's not just booberry, but you have the entire uh, chocula. Uh, you, you have yeah, you have Frankenberry, you have uh, you Count have chocula. Yeah, Count chocula, and then the fruit brute, which is not an actual <laughs> cereal, believe it or not. 
it, it's funny because you know when when I was thinking about this list, I'm like, okay, can I really bring in like the heavy, heavy influence upon our children uh, of these paranormal and supernatural topics? And you know, there was a, a while, and, and they're probably going to show it now because it's it's you know the Halloween time where it seems all the TV shows that my kid was watching all featured some kind of paranormal creature. Um, and I'm not just talking about the paranormal, you know, like the Super Saturdays, I think they're called, which are cryptozoologist hunters. and, and uh, But, you know, things, shows like Phineas and Ferb have had the Loch Ness Monster and they've had Bigfoot. Uh, he used to watch a show called The Higley Town Heroes that had Hig Squash. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of these little instances where you know, for one episode, they kind of step out of their normal world, like we were talking about before, and, and you know, bring in these paranormal topics. Well, I mean, the more that it gets popular now, the more we're going to see that. And if the young kids are getting it in their their shows, you know, now, I can only imagine what kind of programming might come out, you know, 15 years from now. Right. And, I mean, my son at five clearly knows what Bigfoot is. He clearly knows, you know, what the Loch Ness Monster is. Cool in a cool, very cool way. We were, you know, we were. He's big, big, big into dinosaurs, and we were talking about. I think it's Plateosaurus. He would correct me if he was up right now. Uh, Plateosaurus, and he looked and went, "Dad, that's just a Loch Ness monster." And so he already has that kind of critical uh, cryptozoological mind. So that was kind of cool experience. Well, the, uh, the the thing that I like about the way that they bring these uh, paranormal topics into kids shows now is it's it's. It's always for a purpose. It's always for a learning purpose because you, you just can't have cartoons like we did when we were kids. You know, back when we were kids, they had cartoons to push toys, to push cereal, to push video games. Uh, now it's cartoons exist pretty much for two reasons. To either push some sort of trading card, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon or anything like that, or as an educational. And there's a very high uh, level of, of observance in what goes into these educational programs. So... The fact that they're sneaking these in and they're using them as learning tools, hey, we've been, we've been ringing that bell for the last five years. There's actually a federal law now that every TV station has to have a certain amount of solely educational programming, and I think that, that might have something to do with that, that switch. But, excellent transition, that brings me to my number three. Because my number three misplaced ghost uh, on television moment is the Phantom Brigade from G.I. Joe. Yeah. Where, for those who don't remember the episode, where um, Cobra gets possession of these three these three objects that are binding these three ghosts. I believe it was an Amazonian warrior, a, um, a Centurion, and a, um, and a World War II pilot, a World War I pilot. And they're able to use these ghosts to kind of fight G.I. Joe, and it's not until... Uh, G.I. Joe's able to get those possessions back and give them to them that their souls are able to be at rest, and everything's kind of placed back in the order. And if actually that clip is up there, so if people want to watch that episode of G.I. Joe, it is up on our website. And now you know. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. There you go. Well, uh, what, what, is, uh, what is next on your list, Matt Moniz? Uh, mine was uh, Kolchak Night Stalker, old 70s. Oh, there you go. And and that's a, an example, too, of how uh, the paranormal infiltrated its way into somebody else's life. You know, he was, originally that wasn't his... Chris Carter, yeah, X-Files. And, and that, you know, one, one begats the other, and that begats whatever has come out of that. So, 
That's a that's a good choice. Uh, I can tell you this: uh, the next one on my list is uh, a little bit of a different spin. Uh, I chose the Greatest American Hero, the old William Cat TV show, uh, because not only was it paranormal to me that aliens would come down from outer space and grant superhuman powers through this suit to a um, modern day, you know, regular Joe, but the fact that it's completely paranormal to understand in that show that William Cat could pull Connie Selica. <laughs> <laughs> While Eddie and the Cruisers is uh, is riding shotgun. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know, Tim, you've opened up the door, so I'm going to have to reveal my number one. I'm going to switch them up a little bit. I'm going to reveal my number one and then go back to my number two because my number one misplaced ghost is, a, a kind of, once again, the paranormal within the paranormal. It's The Beast in the Dark, which is an episode of Greatest American Hero where the Greatest American Hero, whose name I can't, no, I'm trying to was it this. not Ralph Hinckley? Ralph, yeah. Ralph, right, Ralph. Ralph <laughs> Which was a bold name choice, by the way, considering uh, the other Hinckley that was uh, yes. in the American forefront then. Um, but he and his class go to an abandoned house to strip it so they can get money to to get, I think, a film projector. And what ends up happening, there's a, there's a walled-up area, and there's a woman who eventually possesses the guy from I Spy, um, but he actually has to fight this horrible monster, demonic kind of force, which is keeping this woman trapped in the house. And so there's these two levels of the paranormal within this paranormal show. And it is the, one of the creepiest. I remember from my childhood giving me absolutely horrible nightmares um, because there's all this really, really graphic image in that really horrible 80s special effect TV show kind of way. And I watched it. I watched it recently, probably about two months ago. And you, you notice a lot more of how bad the special effects are, but the idea of it, which I've, which is, is kind of, you know, now coming back into vogue in, in the paranormal world, that, that concept, that idea really molded what I thought of ghosts and what I thought of the, of the paranormal world, that there were these, not only were there ghosts, and of course they could possess you and cause you to do horrible things, but also there was something guarding them. Um, you couldn't cross over without being going through this physical torture and it changing you somehow, and it's only because he has the suit that he's able to not only see these things, but eventually conquer. And that, that whole thing that there's a guardian, a beast, in, a beast in the dark that kind of watches over us, but also kind of is out there to get us. Well, you just made me have to throw in an honorable mention of my own, unless it's on Costa's list, which there's a chance that it could be. And that would be the, uh, the infamous Oh, What a Goose I Am episode of Punky Brewster. <laughs> <laughs> when uh you, you know uh, and and this is exactly what we're talking about though where it just comes out of nowhere uh here's a show that for anybody who's not familiar with punky brewster and if you're not what, what the hell's wrong with you it is it is basically just the story of us it's the story of everyone everyone just wants to find a place that's home and uh Punk, punky brewster there's a little punky brewster in all of us and uh oh, there, punky. there was there was a lot of there was a lot of Henry Warnham on Punky Brewster, I'm guessing too. But uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, oh, Punky! I know you died to do that. <laughs> Henry Warnham buys dented cans. The world's only. Huh? Yeah, I have the world's only Henry Warnham impression. But anyway, <laughs> the succotash, the succotash. Anyway, uh, so but there was that famous episode that comes out of nowhere. It's an hour-long episode. So when it originally aired, I don't remember if it was a one-hour special or if it was a two-parter. But they go into this cave. Uh, first, they encounter 
Vincent, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, uh, but the really creepy guy with the long face that was in Ghost and chased uh, Patrick Swayze on the train, and uh, he was Anka, in... Uh, that time's at Ridgemont High? Yep, yep, and he was in, uh, he also was the teacher in Better Off Dead that asked if he could take Beth out on a date. But anyway, um, he, uh, you know, he plays Mr. Pieces. So right away you've got a guy who's laying in pieces all over the place. So that's setting the tone that this is not going to be your, your normal episode of, uh, of Punky Brewster. And then the whole idea is that there's this, like, negative evil entity that lives in this cave, kind of along the lines of Stephen King's It, complete with the fact that it's in the form of a spider, but it's apparently some Native American, uh, Vincent Chiavelli, that's it. Some Native American, uh, you know, belief system that this was their, their evil spirit. And it, it's just one of those things that it came out of left field. They had it happen. They never mentioned it again. Even in the cartoon, Glomer never brought it up. You know, that's kind of paranormal unto itself, too. But, uh, so that was, that was definitely had a profound, a profound effect on me. And, uh, I know that, uh. And that's, uh, of course, uh, that name, I believe, is a homage to the, the famous paranormal case of the talking goose on that farm. Oh, the mongoose? Yeah. Oh, yes. really? There's a goose and a mongoose on that on that same farm, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it's the mongoose used to say, "What a what a uh, what a goose am I?" Oh, I didn't even make that connection. You know that that the whole concept of the cave kind of inspired me to remember another one. So I guess I'll put it on my honorable mention, see if I can find it out there, which is. The episode of Fraggle Rock with the Blue Cave. Uh-huh. Fraggle which, Rock now airing on the hub. <laughs> which is which I don't have, unfortunately. Um, but I want badly now that I see what's on it. Um, but there's an episode once again where it's this kind of haunted cave and they've got to like pass through it and, and I remember my oddly enough, my, my best friends at the time were twins named the Hardy Boys. <laughs> and the Hardy Boys were sleeping over and we were just sitting there saying, Dude, we are not getting to sleep tonight. And here was Fraggle Rock, like this cute little show. And yet it had this very like deep paranormal twist to it that um, that kind of freaked kids out because people weren't scared weren't weren't like you know concerned with giving us horrible nightmares back in the day. By the way, speaking of Fraggle Rock, if any of the listeners out there uh, have or could possibly construct for us an Uncle Traveling Matt doll, <laughs> uh, can you please send it to us uh, here at WBSM Studios or, or email me Tim at SpookySouthCoast dot com and I'll give you the mailing address for Spooky South Coast. We badly, badly need an Uncle Traveling Matt, either puppet or a doll, and we can't tell you why, but uh, it will be definitely well worth it if you can send us one. Sounds like a job for Nitbit. And, um, she tried, really, and to the point where like, I was walking around the house for days saying, Dear Nephew Gobo, just to get her to, to do it, <laughs> and she wouldn't do it. These silly creatures are... Anyway, but you'll, you'll see what we have in mind if somebody can actually get one to us in our hands. Uh, Matt Moniz, what what do you have next on your list? Believe it or not, the Brady Bunch. There you go. Tiki. Well, there were a number of different episodes where they dealt with ghosts, and one in particular, I remember, UFOs. Right, and he, I got that, he got that, uh, that sore in his mouth because he kept making the UFO noise. Yep. Hmm. Why do I remember these things? <laughs> because we're, we're basically, when we grew up, TV was our babysitter. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, Brady Bunch had... You know the episode with the curse uh, yep. when they went to Hawaii, and then of course Correct. the the um, oh I don't want to steal your thunder, Matt. If you were going to listen, no, them all. no, go right ahead. Um, but then of course one of my favorite episodes where they pretend that the house is haunted because they think their parents want to sell it, and, right. uh, and it eventually leads to Alice, you know, destroying the bust of uh, of Mr. Brady. Yep. There you go. So the the Brady Bunch. Who knew? That's paranormal uh, paranormal roots. Matt Costa, what do you have on yours? 
I have uh, Northern Exposure. Yeah. So, because yeah. um, I think we were, Tim and I were talking about that um, a couple weeks that ago. That and Twin Peaks. Yeah. It, it was just a show that you thought was about just a small town in uh, Alaska and all these weird type things have happened. and Right right down to having yeah, guys living in bubbles. Yeah. Adam, the uh, the wild guy who lives <laughs> in the woods and all the ties to uh, Native American folklore and things like that. Yeah, so. that's that's and that's uh, just a forgotten gem of television. Um, I'll tell you what's next on my list, Chris. Uh, that's the show Soap. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and there was an entire season where Richard Mulligan's character uh, had been abducted by aliens and been replaced by one of the aliens. Uh, and the audience was in on the joke, but the rest of the people on the show didn't understand. And, and this is one of the first times I had ever seen the idea of you know the the not not just the swapping out of the alien you know fish out of water story we've seen that in plenty of regards but I, it's the first time i've seen really mainstream reference to a ufo abduction and uh, if i remember correctly they used to show cutaways uh, there were scenes that were actually uh, richard mulligan's character on the ship interacting with the aliens themselves there were i remember those and the funny thing is, is i remember so in these little kind of like flashes like i can't remember plot lines i can't remember I can remember the, what the characters look like in these little kind of small moments, and those are definitely those abduction ones are the ones that have kind of stuck with me. I can say this too. Fate Angel in the chat room uh, at SpookySouthCoast.com and FateRadio.com just mentioned if we covered the episode of the Waltons uh, where they had a poltergeist. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with that because uh, the Waltons was one of those shows that I used to walk out of the room when my mom put it on. Yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> It would be great if she could call in. And yeah, call in one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. And anybody out there can call in and share some of the, their thoughts and see, uh, feelings. And what, what's next on your list, Chris? Well, this would be my number two. So this is this is like I said, I gave away my number one because we we started talking about the greatest American hero. Mm-hmm. So this is this is, and this was debatably my number one, only in the fact that it didn't scare me, um, but it's got to be up there in the top five episodes of television ever and it's kind of paranormal um and that would be afterlife not afterlife but afterlife from saint elsewhere um and for those people once again who didn't follow the show um the uh, howie mandel character got shot and when he got shot he went through this very dante inferno episode where he visited heaven he visited hell. Uh, he visited. Spent a lot of time in purgatory. Um, talked to himself who, as God, because you know we were made in God's image, and so therefore God has to be Howie Mandel. Um, and got God, to walk. God has OCD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Have you seen our lives? Um, but <laughs> that's actually what the whole. Flood sure, that is an ADD. <laughs> that was funny, but. Um, you're distracting me now. Uh, but there was, um, you know, and then, of course, once again, just like in the in the Grey's Anatomy, he's able to kind of walk the halls. He has an out-of-body experience where he sees himself. Um, but it was really this kind of, uh, in addition to being, you know, my, one of my favorite shows of all time, um, this very creative way of viewing the afterlife. Um, and I remember, for example, that Hell, uh, part of what Hell was is that uh, being in a, one of the characters who would actually... Um, turned into a criminal on the show, um, and I believe that of an overdose. Uh, his hell, and it was, you know, hell is everyone's version of hell. His hell was being in a, um, 
wa- a boat and wanting to water ski, having everything to water ski, but he couldn't water ski because he was alone. So having like the most amazing thing in your life and then not being able to use it. And I remember another aspect of hell being um, referees. Uh, and it was just all of these different, there was football referees and, and, and you know, umpires and, and all these different people who were like throwing flags and things like that. And the fact was that, you know, they loved the game, but they could never participate in it. And as an episode of, of television that's supposed to be, and the show, of course, was always quirky, um, it really kind of molded what I thought about ghosts and what I thought about the afterlife and this kind of idea of heaven and hell and but more importantly, the fact that, like, we could touch that and then come back uh, and have that experience kind of mold the rest of our lives. And so it was freaky and quirky and funny and a little bit spooky. And it was kind of like this. This, And the only reason why it wasn't number one is because it was like, well, for me, because my list was ghosts, was he really a ghost? Is an out-of-body experience a ghost? So it even kind of opens up that discussion. But amazing show, amazing episode, after life. Wasn't able to find a clip on it because most of the St. Elmo's, uh, St. Elsewhere, um, episodes are kind of under lock and key. So you can't find them. Um, really? Now that, you know, now that the movie loft doesn't have them. <laughs> but, uh, but it, it, it really, if you're, if you're able to watch the show, watch the show. Um, but it's not until the, you know, maybe like the, the fifth or sixth season that this happens. And it's just this amazing story, storytelling and something that I can remember lines from it, you know, 20 years later. Well, the uh, the number one on my list, and we referenced it uh, a little bit earlier when we talked about uh, Dickens and the idea of the the Christmas Carol, the Three Visitations of the Ghost. That was that was my number one, uh, not because of the actual uh, you know the Christmas Carol itself, which it's weird enough to have ghosts in a Christmas story to begin with, but the fact that it's been used so many times after as this device to help people confront different issues that they have in their lives, whether it be... We're actually watching here. Matt Costa brought up the YouTube uh, video of the Walton's Poltergeist episode. It looks pretty interesting. I might actually have to watch that one, believe it or not. And uh, so this Dickens uh, concept comes back again and again, uh, using the ghosts as an allegory for whatever the, the people need to figure out in their own lives. And it just happened again this week. I mean, I'm a huge Smallville fan, and uh, they, they took it a different way this week where uh, actually Brainiac came from the future to kind of show Clark Kent his path. They showed him the past, the present, and the future with the idea if he had to let go of his past to embrace his future. So it's just it's something that keeps coming back again Good and again. Episode. You, you watch Smallville? Yeah. Oh, I wish I had known that. <laughs> I have nobody else to talk to about Smallville since he and Clark stopped covering the Patriots. But uh, uh, so there's, there's another example because uh, I, I wanted to go with a different one. And if you remember the show Quantum Leap at all, which is probably my favorite television show of all time, uh, there next wa- to Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster was is different. That's that's poetry. I'm talking <laughs> about television entertainment. Uh, Quantum Leap for all the time travel that we can discuss, all the different theories of of God and time and destiny and everything that was brought up into that show, um, including the the brilliantly done final episode, which had. So many great scenes, except for that last card at the very end that says Dr. Sam Beckett never returned home. But aside from that, there was one... They always had a Halloween episode. Uh, there was always the... He'd leap into a vampire, or he'd leap into somebody. Uh, there was definitely a ghost one where there was a, a portrait of a woman. So there was all these different paranormally-themed episodes. But the one that was probably, without a doubt, the best one, and I can't say the name of it on the air, 
if you are a Quantum Leap fan and you are a serious hardcore fan of Paranormal, you'll understand why I can't say the name of the episode. There is almost a curse that is developed around the name of the episode. But uh, basically the title of it is, you know the guy that lives underground with the red tail and the pitchfork? That's the name, that's the episode of the show. And the idea behind this episode is uh, Sam is uh, actually involved in this this leap where, I I forget exactly what he's doing, but uh, the bottom line is it turns that his partner Al, who has always been his guardian angel, which is almost its own paranormal uh, thing on its own, uh, actually turns out to be uh, uh, the devil. And he's actually leading Sam astray. And uh, the, the most brilliant moment of, of it, and I'm not going to ruin it for people. I definitely go out and watch it. You can watch it on Hulu and uh, Netflix and everything. I'm not going to ruin it. But uh, there's one creepy moment when Sam makes that connection of who is actually, who Al actually is. It'll just send shivers down your spine. And that's a hard thing to do for a network TV show like that. To, to throw that kind of scare into you. So that's that's probably would be my number one in terms of my favorite moment. Uh, so that's my little spiel. And, of course, we could do an entire episode just on appearances of the devil. And, and we should, and we will. As soon as I can get <laughs> him on the show. As soon as tune, I, in, tune in next week for... Uh... And why as well? I mean, it's a Halloween-themed episode, so it's, it might be a great idea. Uh, so... Does anybody have any from their list that they they want to uh, express to wrap it up? I got one. Sure. The Six Million Dollar Man. I wish I had the sound effect. Well, only for the simple fact that, you know, you're dealing with uh, a guy that normally went around, you know, thwarting drug dealers and spies and, you know, stuff like that. But occasionally they would throw in episodes, you know, dealing with, uh, I remember one in particular, a haunted home. And then, of course, you had him encountering Bigfoot and aliens and stuff in the later seasons and stuff. It incorporated yeah, you, all of them. Usually when that stuff comes in the later seasons, that's why they're the later seasons. Seasons, yeah. <clears throat> it happened to Quantum Leap, too. They had a they had a episode where he supposedly leaped into Bigfoot, but it turns out he was just a guy in a Bigfoot suit. Uh, they, they did a lot of... Uh, they did one where he leaped into somebody who saw a UFO. So when you, I guess when you know that you're in the uh, toward the end, you can start exploring some of those alternative storylines like that. I have what might be the the anti list, which is the maybe the worst instance in television of the <laughs> the normal world uh, ruining uh, the supernatural. This sounds paranormal. good. I like this. Um, and that would be there used to be a TV show called The Adventures of Matthew Starr. Which was about, and, and actually, it used to be on Sci Fi. Sci Fi brought it back for a while, the old episodes of it. I don't know if you can find it out there now, but. Was this an early 80s show? Oh, yeah. It was a, it was a mid, well, early mid 80s show. And it actually had um, this guy who went on to star in a few horror movies, but nothing else. But it, it was actually a show that was on for three or four seasons. I want to say Connie Selleker was in this, too. Um, she did a lot I, back but then. But I yeah. definitely remember there was, uh, the original episodes actually starred Lewis Gossip Jr. Um, and he was, Matthew Starr was a teenage alien who was brought down to learn about American culture and American society, and he had all these kind of special alien powers, and Louis Gossip Jr. was his alien handler. Um, and then in a very, in a move that was, became very typical, and, and you know, most people don't realize the adventure of Matthew Starr brought this about, um, the U.S. government got involved, 
And in the later episodes, the government stepped in and controlled Matthew Starr and would send him off on secret government missions. So I guess that's kind of conspiracy theory, which we, we often talk about on the show, but mm-hmm. it's definitely an experience where there was this great paranormal plot line of this alien who's kind of like solving mysteries and helping people out, and all of a sudden now he's got to report to, a, to an FBI handler. Uh, without getting into the concept of, the, of religion too much, uh, there was also Highway to Heaven, which uh, can't be overlooked for its, uh, its use of the idea of the angel as solving people's problems. I mean, anytime you have these anthology series, like a Quantum Leap, like a Highway to Heaven, you get that chance to throw in this little twist, and that's what draws people in. You know, that's the hook, but then the actual story is about the different episodes from week to week. And, of course, on the sitcom side of that, during the same kind of time period, would be Down to Earth. Oh, yeah. A, uh, where a, uh, a silent movie star uh, has to come back to Earth to help earn her wings by helping the Prestons, I believe their name was, Yes, to help teach the Preston's lessons. I remember was part of the theme song, and um, and you know she, which also would you know kind of molded that idea that well, wait a minute, are people guardian angels or are angels guardian angels? So I remember being very confused even back then about that. There, there are other examples of of where it's been done poorly, and uh, there's one thing that we talked about a little bit on the phone prior to the show that I, I we we've got about ten minutes left, and I want to open this up here. Uh, because you said that the movie Poltergeist actually has hurt the paranormal field, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it, and and of course, the first thing that has to be said is, I, in my opinion, it's the greatest ghost story ever told. And I'm in agreement with that. Um, I think it's an amazing movie, and it, it lasts. Uh, I showed it last year to my students, and not only were they freaked out and totally interested, but they literally cried. Um, when the ghost, when the clown is under the bed, I mean, I actually saved the video. I kept it on my phone because I wanted to uh, capture the reaction to see what it was like, and they were screaming, crying, saying, "Shut it off!" Um, but I think Poltergeist also had its negative effects. And I remember when it was released, even hearing um, professional uh, paranormal investigators on, I think it was Entertainment Tonight, <laughs> talking to Joan Hart about is that her name, Joan Hart? Yeah. Um, about uh, how that wasn't really... No, Mary Hart. Mary Hart, about how that wasn't really the paranormal. But, there, you know, I was going to make a list of, you know, at least five things that, that Poltergeist got wrong um, or kind of, you know, this, this idea that it fed... And the, and the first thing was, you know, the, the whole concept of the... or the whole idea of if your house is haunted, it has to be because it's, you know, it's built on where people use... where people, dead bodies are, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't... It's not a a Native American bale ground, like we've talked about a lot, but it is a cemetery. Uh, but the concept that if, you're, if your house is haunted, it has to be because it's built on something, you know, on some kind of tainted land. Um, and another thing that, that was really kind of wrong about it, um, other than the fact that it really didn't talk about what a poltergeist was, the, the entities that were in the house were not poltergeists. They weren't poltergeists. That's the number one complaint that, uh, that I have with it. Is that... You know this concept that not only can ghosts hurt you, but they can abduct you and take you into it into their world, um, and that you know that world then shares kind of the spotlight with some very dark humans and some things that might not be human, which I think is a very confusing concept for people who uh, look at a lot of ghosts and kind of investigate ghosts or, or collect stories of ghosts. There's not really stuff like that in the literature, and then the whole idea that 
you know, they can possess a tree, <laughs> which can can then break through your window and try to eat you. And there's little moments like that all throughout the movie, but it's they kind of just, you know, they, they at times, and once again, brilliant movie, blur the line between, you know, the what might be the spirit world and stuff that's just really creepy and scary. But what what where people really get lost in it? I mean, obviously they try to expand the the storyline and explain it more in, in, as a trilogy. And let's just even throw out part three. But, uh, you know, they explored it more in the second movie, too. And the idea is, you, you know, you come away with it. Like you said, the first movie, you're like, these aren't poltergeists. All this weird stuff is happening that doesn't seem like it could be the, the result of formerly earthbound humans now in spirit form. But they do start to bring in the idea that there's something darker and there's something more, there's something demonic about it. Uh, but people walk away from it confused. I mean, I've watched the movies numerous times and i still don't really know what's going on i understand the idea of reverend kane bringing his followers uh, into the cave and promising them everlasting life and it turns out he was wrong and that angers the spirits and they need to use carol Ann to help them get to the other side but i don't understand like why this kane character is supposedly a beast why it's something much darker and and more sinister than a regular person i think they kind of left that hanging out there and with more explanation, that might make it, you know, even creepier. Right. And, and you know, I, I, what really was down for me with, with the whole thing was that, that blurring of, um, you know, what exactly can a ghost do? Um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, it misrepresents what a ghost can actually do, or, and especially definitely what the majority of ghosts or spirits can do. Um, but then it kind of, you know, it, 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 it led to this, because even these people who, you know, who had good lives, who were buried, uh, they were done wrong, not by the people who were involved, and, and all of a sudden they turn. And so the idea that, you know, a ghost can do very bad things for you and it doesn't even have to be your fault is something I think, you know, is, is not a very uh, healthy thing to promote. Well, but it's still cool when the guy rips his face off. It is cool. <laughs> no matter how wooden it looks on Blu-ray... <laughs> and, uh, you know, with the great, you know, the great uh, Blu-ray pausing that you can do and, and see just, like, where they insert the dummy and everything. But it doesn't take away from the powerful effect of the story. And the fact that what it does get right is how the activity starts very benign and then increases in power. Uh, and, and they take you through the emotional journey that the family goes through. And I think that a lot of these stories that we've talked about are are memorable a lot of these things that we've talked about tonight are memorable because it was an emotional use of the paranormal too it wasn't just thrown in there as a hey here's something weird we can toss in there for the most part i mean obviously with the comedies it's a little bit different but in a lot of these it was being used for the emotion that it would draw out yeah and that's really kind of what you're left with you know and and you know we've definitely kind of broken this ground before of you know at some point the the science uh, and and the the research of ghosts kind of falls away, and what you're left with is the, the personal experiences uh, that people have, whether that's the investigator or whether that's the, uh, a family who's experiencing something. And you know what is the, the you've heard me say this a thousand times: the heart of the haunting. And what you really have to understand is that you know the reason why these things can be used is because we have an emotional attachment to them. Are there any you had mentioned that you were thinking about making a list and and talking about some of these? What what's the most offensive uh, 
what, what kind of slights the field more than anything in what you can think of, uh, of what we've seen out there, TV, movies, even music? What, what's, what's done the most damage? <laughs> um, <laughs> reality television. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer. It's a great answer. Uh, I would probably say, you know, uh, I think that, um, and once again, that devil discussion, stuff that's done the most uh, damage is, is, is a lot of the devil stuff and a lot of the, the, um, the, the idea of evil can be tricked, <laughs> I think is a, is a really kind of a, um, you know, my brother-in-law, and I had a long talk with my brother-in-law today uh, because he is a TV aficionado, and we were trying to come up, and, and I said guidelines, like it couldn't be a Halloween episode and couldn't be a, and so we really, you know, he was struggling to kind of come up with some of these answers, but we talked about, um, you know, a lot of these ideas that have to do with darkness and, and, and it's just like, you know, he's one of those people who thinks, I would love to, I would love to, you know, meet a demon because I would totally be able to, like, beat it. And then I'm like, dude, that's the attitude that they're loving. Yeah. Um, and so this concept that through intellect or through love especially, you can defeat these things head-to-head as opposed to, like, with some kind of, you know, with some kind of help or through some kind of spirituality, I think is a very dangerous idea and a very dangerous concept. And other than that, reality television. Well, the number one thing that we owe... Uh, in terms of bringing the paranormal into the mainstream, the one thing that when our mothers would make fun of us for watching shows on this and be like, don't watch that, that's stupid. You know, when, whenever our mothers wanted to crack on us for our interest in paranormally themed media, the one thing we could always throw back up in her face is the fact that she listened to the Carpenters, and the Carpenters had that song, Matt Moniz, if you want to sing it. Calling all oh, occupants <laughs> of interplanetary craft. I know, uh, I know, Moniz has that on his uh, iPod. So, <laughs> but I mean, there you go. So, whenever your mom said anything, you could always say, "Well, you listen to that Carpenter song about the aliens." Well, that's different. <laughs> so there you go. All right, well, that does it, I think, for the discussion. Now I want to plug Paranite because we need to. If that's all right with you, Chris. Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Can you, can you give Paranite your, your blessing? Can you tell everybody what a great little promo could, here? If I could go to Massachusetts and attend one conference uh, and be with one group of people who experience one thing paranormal uh, in the state of Massachusetts, it would be nothing short of Paranite 2010. If I could do anything paranormally related in Fall River on Wednesday, October 20th at the Water Street Cafe, it would be Paranite 2010. Now, we're going to have a great time out there, and it's it's going to be... Uh, I know Chris is going to be jealous that he's he's home and and not being able to join us. And we're going to have Jeff Belanger there. You know him from thirty odd minutes from his numerous books uh, and from GhostVillage.com. He's going to give a presentation on legend tripping. We're going to have Robert Merch, the world's foremost collector of Ouija boards. He's going to be there with some of his collection. Uh, and then some guy named Tim Weisberg will be there to talk about ghosts of the South Coast and to give kind of a paranormal primer. Waiting for my copy. It'll be coming. Don't worry about that. It'll be coming. I have to sell enough copies to afford the shipping to send yours down. <laughs> but uh, and then we'll we'll also have it's going to be dinner. You get a great dinner: roast pork tenderloin with cider glaze, pumpkin rice pilaf, mm. penne with uh, broccoli rab, chilies and garlic, uh, salad and rolls, and apple crisp. So it's going to be uh, one heck of a meal. Uh, at the Water Street Cafe there, and uh, we're also going to have the. We're going to start off with a cocktail hour, which is going to feature Carlson Chops Wood. He's going to be playing uh, some songs and getting everybody warmed up for the event. Then after that, we're going to have the world premiere of the hot new band EVP. 
These guys are just amazing. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be something that you will never believe and you'll tell your kids about. <laughs> so they're going to play a couple of songs. Then we'll get into the lectures, and then we're going to have some fun uh, investigating, maybe hold a seance. There'll be a psychic there to give readings. And uh, generally, it'll just going to be a great paranormally good time. So if you want to get involved, you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Paranite 2010 link. That'll take you to the site where you can use PayPal to pay for your tickets. It's $45. Uh, I would say that probably by Monday, if you want to get the VIP experience, you got to let me know where you get a room at the Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast uh, included with your Paranite tickets. Uh, so just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and all the information is right there. So hopefully we'll see you all out Monday night at the Wareham Historical Society. Hopefully we'll see you all Wednesday at Paranite. Uh, we'll be back next week to, to continue our discussion into the world of the paranormal. And uh, we'll also, we've got a great show lined up. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag here, Chris. But you put together a great show for October 30th, the night before Halloween. So I don't know how much of a preview you want to give the listeners. but I, uh, I c- Well, you know, I I, uh, I did promote on the website that we would at least, uh, you know, give something uh, away about uh, about what we're going to be doing on the uh, our, our pre-Halloween show. So I can, I can say, well, people can check out TV Guide. I guess, and, and, and see that, that it's there, but um, there's a uh, there's a documentary um, about... Problems. As a pediatrician. As an RN. As a family. Sorry, that's our commercials randomly firing off. Especially having to do with everything kind of involved in this, which has, you know, touched me personally as, as well as... But there's, there's a documentary um, airing on A&E on Halloween night uh, about uh, Ronnie Butch DeFeo. And it's You're about thirty seconds, Chris. It's about it's it, it's it's a different take on it than you've ever seen. Uh, it explores some things that um, that have never been explored, having to do with the Amityville horror case, as well as some other uh, paranormal things, including um, some serial killers uh, who have <laughs> associations that are now just being revealed. It's basically it's blowing the lid not only off of Amityville. But also off of uh, uh, the whole DeFeo case and and the nature oh, we gotta of. Go. The, well, that, that's all I can get out then. But but let's just say we we have a personal connection to it, and we're going to be able to uh, to to kind of get the jump on everyone else about what's going on in that documentary with uh, the people who made it. All right. So until next week, for Chris Balzano, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, we want you all to stay spectacular.